The Athen Real Talk podcast explores controversial ideas to stimulate debate and active thinking. These ideas do not always reflect Athen's personal views. Welcome to the Athen Real Talk podcast. He has been called the best gamer in the world, hands down. World famous gamer and philanthropist Athen. Gaming for good, it's called, has raised more than $20 million. Using his notoriety to raise money for charity. On activism, science, culture, and self-development. I'm proud to have him in the studio today. I would not want to take you on in a video game. So basically, I did some research into performative contradiction. And it is actually performative contradiction when I talk to people. When you say, like, for example, I am dead. For you to be able to make the statement that you are dead, you need to be alive, right? So that's what a performative contradiction is. So basically, if you make a statement like, for example, life in this liberalism is the best in the world, what you're doing is you need to be living a life of liberalism in order to know that it's the best of the world. Like, it's part of the equation. So if you're an outsider and you've never been confronted with liberalism, you can't make that statement. And that's the thing. Like, when you are making a statement, there is hidden premises. And that's how logic works. When you have logic, you look at the premises and then you use inductive reasoning. I use inductive reasoning, not deductive reasoning, because everything is probabilistic in a sense. I use inductive reasoning in order to come to a conclusion. And when I say inductive, it's because I see all the premises, including the axiomas, as part of the equation. Either way, there is another hidden premise when you make an argument. And I'm going to explain this one. And this is really going to drastically help people understand why I always talk about impact. Because a lot of people don't understand the rhetoric. They don't understand the logic behind what I'm trying to talk about. And the reason why they don't understand it is because they don't follow the train of thought. But of course, it is quite hard to follow. I will say first something. When I was younger, right, when I was 16, 15, 16 years old, I thought, that theory was more important than reality. And what I mean with that is I thought that because people are so illogical, when I come to a logical conclusion on my theory paper, that is worth more, that is more logical than people being irrational about their lives. The problem, though, with that is that I was not fully logical because for me, was just to label people as illogical, and that was in my variables as a false. But that's not true. People are not truly illogical. People are logical when you understand the patterns that bring about their illogical behavior. So the illogical behavior they act upon is based on dysfunctional processes that you can understand by understanding neuroscience. Of course, when I was so young, I didn't understand all these things. So to me, it was just an easier way to make sense of things, even though it was actually a a performative contradiction because my ability to come with the theories required the setting that allowed me to come up with these theories. And basically, at the end of the day, It's the reality that dictates the setting that I'm in. And this is the second hidden premise. And it's an even more important hidden premise that you have when you make an argument. And it is whenever you make an argument, you assume that you want to come up with a conclusion that is closer to the truth when the argument is made within the setting of reality. That's very important because you can create a logic, right, with certain assumptions that are completely logical and create an entire, through math or whatever, you can create all kinds of conclusions within that framework. But I'm talking about the framework of existence, of this reality we live in. And that's a very important one. When you argue, you try to come with a conclusion that is more accurately or more closer to the truth. That also has to be part of the premises. Because if you try to make an argument and you don't care about it being true or not, 
then why make the argument in the first place? So one of the premises, one of the hidden premises when you make an argument is that you try it to be more accurately representing the truth. And that truth you're talking about is the extent to which it's in line with the objective reality. So basically, when you make an argument, you're automatically within our setting where we just talk about life and such, assuming that you're trying to come with a conclusion that is more or less in line with the objective reality. And that is essential, because if you combine that, then when you are making a judgment over people in Africa or whatever, the fact that they haven't been able to come to the conclusion the way you did has to be part of your premises, because if you don't, then you're not looking at the objective reality for what it is because you're assuming people can see the world through your eyes. So being able to project yourself in the other person's reference frame is a priority when you make an argument when you're talking about others. You've got to understand their situation. What does that lead to? If you're trying to make an argument, right, and doing so requires the extent to which it's in line with the objective reality, you immediately when you're having a conversation with someone's belief system, right? Let's say you have a belief system, right? And I have my belief system. The first thing that I do is like, what is the impact? Because I'm trying to measure your theory based on the objective reality. Like, let's say you say like, yeah, I have a theory of, instead of gravity, you call it uh, charity, you know? Like, and it's like the power of chairs that are gravitating and bending space in a certain way. And you have an entire theory, the way I'm going to measure whether your theory of all the chairs create this alternate universe is based on reality. So the reason why we believe gravity as a theory, and we don't believe in charity, because charity is a fundamental force is because there is no empirical evidence that supports your claim. And that is essential. So basically, if you come up with a theory of looking at the world a certain way, then your actions are the empirical evidence to which extent your claim stands or doesn't stand. And that's when also when the guy was talking like, yeah, logic lacks compassion. The first thing I did was I was measuring it towards the objective reality, because that's how you measure the extent to which an argument is true. If you have a certain belief system that goes against the reality, against what you are as a being, then you can question, you know, you can literally question like, yeah, the validity of this theory. So being able to measure the impact you have really defines the extent to which your ideas or thoughts hold up. Just like with gravity, the empirical evidence of your theories and ideas is measured with the impact you have. And that is why I always get back to the impact, because a lot of people don't understand it. They go like, why do you go about the impact? Because the reason why I measure things based on the impact is just as much as when you believe in gravity, you check, okay, what's the impact? Like, I want empirical evidence. Does this work? And that is why logic is so much superior, because it allows you to have a much bigger impact in the objective reality. Now, let's say you want to come and debate me, right? And this is something very interesting, and it's very important to understand. The reason why it's better in most situations to shut up rather than to get into an argument is because just the impact that you have by going into an argument, if there is no impact, then you're already creating a performative contradiction. Because... Being in line with the truth, trying to make an argument that is more in line with the truth compared to the objective reality, if going into the argument goes already against the impact you could have otherwise, you're already contradicting yourself. And I also said that several times on the stream. When someone says, like, how can you assume? Well, you've got to have a very good reason for you to have a debate with me in order to be able to measure the impact towards what you would be doing otherwise. Because that's how you actually measure the validity of an argument to begin with. So if you make an argument to me, right, about whatever, and you're wasting your time doing so, 
you're literally having a performative contradiction because you're better off doing something else. Because the extent to which your claim is valid is closer to the truth, even though I'm not even talking about absolute truth. I'm just like talking, you know, this is linguistic, is closer to the objective reality, is defined by the impact. And you might say like, okay, so basically that means we shouldn't be arguing with you, getting in call. And why are you having this debate then? The reason why I have this debate is because the impact that I measure the debates is not based on winning a debate or not, but the extent to which I can gain viewers so I can actually spread this click. So it has actually, I connect impact to it. And that's why I also said, the reason I've never debated people, the reason like even though I'm shining in it like crazy, when it comes down to rhetoric and debating, it's the best thing I can do. It's better, I'm much better than playing games. I'm much better than playing poker or making money. What I really shine in is debating. Even though I've never done that on the stream, the reason why is because I understand that it's about impact. What's the use of winning debates on the stream? It has to actually have a value. Else I'm contradicting myself and that's why when people come to me and talk if they cannot provide the impact they cannot measure the impact that they have by having this argument they're already contradicting themselves and that's exactly why you cannot win impossible to win debates you cannot win debates unless you can already pinpoint the actual impact having this debate so let's say you debate me because you have a certain insight and you want to spread it and that way you have more impact then you have a case. But if you just debate me for validation seeking, you're already losing automatically because you're already performative contradiction because the extent to which you're in line with the objective reality and the extent to which you can actually measure through empirical evidence through impact is already like, which is a premise, a hidden premise of your argument because that's why you argue, is already going against itself because by having this conversation, you're lowering your impact. And that's the thing, like if you truly understand that, you start seeing the world very differently. You start measuring things through impact all the time because you understand that argumentation and just having an argument is the extent to which you're in line with the objective reality. And then you can say, like, yeah, but how do you define impact then? The way I define impact is the extent to which, you know, I'm in line with what I am. Because like I said, I always assume something and what I assume is the subjective reference frame that I am. And understanding that, requires me to, you know, look at what I am and that requires me to understand evolution in biology and neuroscience. And then automatically, when I see like, oh, there is all these laws that I seem to be subject to and including others, therefore, I will define this as objective reality, even though everything is inherently subjective, like I just create objective reality as a definition within that framework, because people understand that well. And because it seems that I'm subject to this reality rather than the other way around, I mean, if I imagine something, I can't just create reality. No, it seems I'm subject to it. If I get something smacked to my face, like I can lose my ability to be as aware. If I'm sick, I lose my awareness. So it's obviously that I'm subject to this reality. You can still argue that maybe it's the other way around and it's all a lie or whatever, but it's very unlikely. And that's where you then start measuring impact. You start measuring impact to the extent to understanding what you are. And when you start understanding what you are, what you see is that you're merely the result of evolutionary biology. So that's where impact gets calculated on. And then you might say like, okay, that is fine, but why do what you're designed to do? Because a lot of people say like, there is no reason why you exist. That's bullshit. There is a reason. It's a logical reason. 
Action-reaction. Like, it's a fundamental law of physics, action-reaction. So there is a reason why you exist. The reason might not be so godly or whatever, but there is a reason. And understanding the reason gives you more insight in what you are. So you might just say like, okay, so why go in line with what you are? Because else you're contradicting yourself. It's a performative contradiction. If you do something that goes against your existence, then literally what you're actually doing is you're having a premise where one premise is I exist, therefore I can make this conclusion. And the next phrase is my actions go against my ability to come to the conclusion that I exist. And that is why when people say I don't mind being a pig, that's just completely absurd. Because if you would be a pig, you wouldn't be able to say I don't mind being a pig. Like your presumption requires you to be an aware person. You can't go against that, else you're contradicting yourself. And that is why logic can give a paradigm. Logic can give a paradigm, an ethical paradigm, because you can just remove these contradictions and really make things more and more aligned. Just wanted to talk about that. I know this is, might sound really complicated, but it's really something for people to think about. When you make an argument, you have premises. Say like, okay, all bottles are white. I grab a bottle. It has to be white, right? And the thing is like what you forget is that there is hidden premises when you make a conclusion like that. One of the hidden premises is you need a subjective reference frame to make the claim which is basically, I exist. You need to assume that you exist in order before you can't say, all oh, bottles are white, this bottle has to be white. So this is one hidden premise. Another hidden premise is the following. The extent to which your argument is right or wrong is defined by to which extent it's in line with the objective reality. Because you might say, all oh, bottles are white, this bottle is not white. Why would you say that? Why is that contradicting? Because it's not in line with the objective reality. So that's also a premise. To the extent to define whether something is more accurate or less accurate, you need a reference frame, which is the objective reality, that you create after accepting that you exist. So the first one, the premise is, you have to exist in order to make the assumption. The second one is, by understanding your existence, you realize that the objective reality is what you seem to be subject to, and what defines what is more or less likely, and what defines an argument to be more or less true. And then... You can make your case. So these two premises always have to be in every single equation. If you say x plus 2 is 5 and y plus x is 3, what is y? And then you look at logic as a framework, you're basically missing out because what you also have as part of the premises is all the axiomas. And that's something people forget. They just look at these numbers, these logic, and they forget all the axiomas. But there is an entire list of axiomas in which you are making the calculation in. And if you don't have these axiomas as part of your framework, you can't even make a calculation. So it's always important to have all the premises in order for you to have a full view. Same with language. If you say this sentence is not true, then you might say like, yeah, you saying this sentence is not true is a paradox, right? Because when it's not true, like, then it has to be true. And basically, like, you're thinking you have a paradox. But the problem is because of a hidden premise. And the hidden premise is because of linguistics. When you say this sentence is not true, you assume that this sentence is not true is true. So the following statement is true. This sentence is not true. Well, no, the following statement seems to be false. And that's the thing. If you understand all these hidden premises, you can build a logic and a rhetoric that is so strong and starts understanding existential questions and such, and really surpasses philosophers nowadays. And that's why I also talk about philosophers being intellectually masturbators, because if they don't have an impact, then they have a performative contradiction, because the extent to which their argument is valid or not is the extent to which 
it is in line with the objective reality. And if them just talking bullshit all day goes against their existence, goes against their existence when they understand what they are, because in order to exist, you need to have certain evolution and certain process that you're subject to, you're contradicting yourself. But you might say like, yeah, but these people, obviously they are alive. They can do that. That's not true. If they wouldn't have food, if they wouldn't have been taken care of, they would die. They wouldn't be able to think about these things. For them, in order to have the requirements for them to think, there has to be work put in. And if their intellectual masturbation goes against that work and doesn't have any impact, they're literally bullshitting themselves. It's a totally different story, though, if people are philosophizing. And while they philosophize, they actually come with ideas and matter that helps the world move forward. The problem, though, is that science is doing that now. And that's why I said that philosophy is outdated. The reason why philosophy is outdated is because science has taken the job in measuring impact. And you might say, like, here, what about ethics and morals? Well, even that, science has been given the ability for us to answer moral and ethical questions by understanding evolution, biology, and neuroscience. And that is really so simple, pinpointing everything. I find it fascinating that, you know, nobody talks about these things in such a clear manner. I wonder if people are logical and really listen to what I said. This can really help you a lot in understanding the world. It's a very interesting, important insight. The click is something is a word that the community came up with for the process people can go through to really align yourself with what you are. The thing is, if you go through life, you have a self-image. You see yourself like, oh yeah, this is me, this is me, this is me, this is what people think about me, it's me. But the thing is, it's not in line with what you really are. You are not what people think you are. And the way to understand what you are requires you to just, you know, look to neuroscience and evolutionary biology to do so. When you go about this process, you figure out that what you desire, it goes against what you are. Basically, you create a machine that has behavior that destroys itself as a machine. And of course, if it's been programmed like that, it's different. But if it's been programmed to actually keep evolving and progressing, it brings about a strong moral and ethical compass that is not based on philosophy or anecdotal values, but rather than on a scientific understanding of what you are. Basically, that's a bit more complicated, but you have four steps, basically. And the four steps are the following. The first step, and this is based on my understanding of neuroscience and looking into neurotheology and stuff, because a lot of people already, you know, make use of these mechanics. Actually, everybody does, is when you go through life, every action you do can be traced back to a core desire and emotion. And for most people, that is comfort. Uh, for some, it's validation. For others, it can be uh, God. Uh, but basically, all these concepts, they only evolved and you adopted them as you grew up to approval seeking. Your inner child just submitted itself to it because it provided for its safety. But the thing is, if you realize that it's not as efficient, then you can actually change it and really redeem yourself. It's really crazy. You just go to a transformation. And what you have is like really people that stop smoking, stop playing games, are much more happy. And they just are more social, their social anxiety goes away, even depression and stuff. People that have depression because of beliefs just fades away. We even had people with borderline syndrome, went away. People with asthma, went away. I'm just saying what people told me. I told them to actually get proof that it's the case, to bring it. So I can show it, because maybe they're full of shit, they might make this stuff up. But I'm just saying, like, these four steps, when you go through them, you can really change your life for the better, by aligning yourself with what you are. Because the problem is, for a lot of people, you have duality. On one end, you have what you emotionally desire. And on the other hand, you have what your reason tells you is better for you. So if you're sitting on your ass and you have this paradox, like I want to work out because I know it's better for me. But on the other hand, the other part emotionally says, I want comfort. I want to sit on my ass. You have this duality. And the reason why you have this duality is because on a fundamental level, your inner child holds on to comfort. And you can change that. You can really be a person 
You can literally, like this insight allows you from one moment to another to literally start doing what is logical without any effort. You just do it because it's logical and you feel rewarded for it. Just like playing games makes you feel good. So this is not a sacrifice. You will actually feel better. You'll be more happy and you will contribute more to the world. So what are the four steps? The first step is to love logic, to trust it. A lot of people trust money, but money is intersubjective. If tomorrow the banks collapse, all your money is worthless. Anything that keeps the world together is an ID. It's not really real. Money is not real. It's only real because of the value you give it. On the other hand, gravity is real. Whether you value it or you like it or not, it will always apply. And that's the thing. Like, if you value and trust and love logic more than anything else, you have an easier time submitting yourself to it. Spinoza already said that. But the problem with Spinoza is that you don't have to personify God. Because that's what he said. But the thing is, you have the ability, because we understand how the brain works, to personify logic and use the same brain hack that the religious people use, but to apply it on logic by using your emotional senses. So you can watch Cosmos, you can watch all these things and really personify this logic to have a very positive emotion to it. That's the first step. The second step is to figure out what your core value is, what drives you. And by doing so, it's just when you do something, why do you really do it? You've got to be brutally honest to yourself. If you're not brutally honest to yourself, it won't work. You've got to really be brutally honest to yourself. So you do that. There's two categories. There's the people that have an easier time going about this because they have a good life. But of course, like if you have a good life and didn't go through a lot of traumas and stuff, you don't have that many layers. And then you can really go like, yeah, I do this because it makes me feel good. It's that simple. But of course, it's important to understand that that awareness, that inner child, what it's clinging to, is going to the harm of a lot of other people and also your own growth. You can do things a lot more efficient and be more happy. That's really important to realize. It's not a sacrifice you make, first of all. Secondly, for people that have a lot of layers... Being able to forgive the pain that has been caused to you and the suffering that you have caused to others is very essential. Because whenever you go to a traumatic experience or whatever, you try to give it meaning. You try to make it fit in in your paradigm. But being able to just forgive others and forgive yourself allows you to get rid of these layers and really release a lot of emotion. And then you get to that core. And for a lot of people, it will be quite weak because that's why you have these layers, right? And for a lot of people, it will be validation or being worthless and, and wanting this safety or whatever. So in, in step three, what you do is like you use your five senses to strengthen this emotion on positive emotion to logic, to love and trust or whatever works, visualization, smell, taste, but not hearing. You can't have an inner voice. It has to be an emotional process. It's really like a subconscious process where you rewire yourself. You make the emotion liable that is connected to your reward center and you rewire it with logic. That is the thing. So you do that by having this emotion of logic really positive and you really visualize it. You close your eyes. You visualize. There's also guided meditation on simplyclick.org. You can also talk to people on Discord. You can talk about people on Making Sense subreddit. There's a lot of information out there. And on the other hand, you think about comfort and see you really emotionally experience how much damage is it done like by visualizing it in a negative way or whatever imagine it like a rotten teddy bear or whatever just imagine it work with visualization because visualization is more primitive more connected to the emotional part of the brain and that's the thing like what I'm talking about is just the process of initiating a paradigm shift where you align yourself with what you are with reality that's really what I'm talking about so if you have like comfort that's what drives you you're literally going against what you are like you're eating unhealthy you're not working out that's not because that's what you are it's because you submitted yourself to comfort and if you go to this process you can change that and by the moment you change that and you go back and forward because you go from love to your core value back to logic back to like from a positive to a negative emotion you go really yo-yo effect and you really think about it and you reflect on it to a certain moment your, in- moment, your inner child will really push away comfort say I don't want this anymore 
anymore. And we'll hug logic. And what this is actually is, and the reason why I say inner child is because it's a very primitive emotional process. The reason why this happens is because at that moment you connect logic to your reward center. And from there on, when you do logical stuff, it just happens automatic. All your duality ceases to exist. You don't think in problems anymore. You don't care what people think about you. You don't have this social anxiety anymore. Like It really goes away quickly. And you just have this clarity, this paradigm of clarity. And the beauty of it is that you can do that in less than an hour. You can literally change your life if you went through these four steps. So the third step is this paradigm shift. And people have been here, have been talking about it. Their life changed. All these bad habits went away. They stopped gaming. And it doesn't mean you come to this cult house or anything. You just start doing what is most logical. And the first thing what that is, and that's then in step four, is keep doing stuff logical. Is figuring out what you want, who you are. And going about it, doing research, really understanding everything logically. And the more you do so, the more you will strengthen your faith in logic. The problem, though, is you will still have remnants of the past. And that's really very big. Like, we wrote an entire guide, and I'm really, for everybody here that's watching that will end up clicking, please, first of all, make a thread on making sense. will help you a lot. And also make sure to go to the guide. Like, there's a very elaborate guide that will really help you to understand the remnants of the past and go about it. Also, for step two, what really can help you is write down your life. You can do it on a Word document or whatever. Write it down. Because your inner child really tries to always deflect when you go too close. It deflects it. Like, really be brutally honest and write down why you do what you do. And you really see, like, I'm doing this because I feel worthless. I'm doing this because I feel... You will feel really sad and depressed. But the beauty of it, you go to the core. And the more you make it liable, the more you do so, liable or however you say it, the more you're able to replace it with logic. But you have to go to the first step. You have to have a strong love and trust for logic. That's really crucial. Else you're going to be fucked. That's why I say, like, go about it, like, think about it, really take these steps very serious. Like, these four steps have changed people drastically from one moment to another. Subscribe to youtube.com slash wins. Watch the live stream at twitch.tv slash live. And follow the real Athene on Snapchat.